the ninth lesson, John unfolds the mystery of the Incarnation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Well, thank you for being here. And let me start with giving a huge thank you to Christopher McDonald, our music director, to Alyssa Choden, who's directed our choir, to Janelle Delia, who did the art for our bulletin and live stream slides, to all the musicians, readers, singers, choirs who have contributed to the beauty of tonight's service. You are all a gift, and we give thanks for you and to you. Last December, the New York Times published uh, an opinion piece titled, Putting the Poetry Back in Christmas, which is actually just a conversation between two Anglican priests, Tish Harrison Warren, who is also an author, and Malcolm Geit, a well-known poet and musician. And uh, specifically, they were talking about Advent and one of Geit's collections of poetry called Waiting on the Word about Advent, which came out in 2015. And Warren asks Geit this simple question. Why is Advent important to you? And his full response to that question is well worth reading, but I just want to highlight a part of it. He says this, Advent is meant to be to Christmas what Lent is to Easter. It's always been the wisdom of the church to have a fast before a feast to have this time of holding back and restraint so that you really appreciate and understand the reasons for the joy and feasting when it comes. The word Advent means arrival or coming. The church saw that preparing for the coming of Christ at Christmas could also be a way of looking to that larger hope, which is the final coming of Jesus, the day when at last the earth will be filled with the glory of God. He goes on and says, Christmas, uh, because very thoroughly commercialized and shop, Christmas became very thoroughly commercialized and shops realized they could use it to sell more goods. So they competed with one another and to be the first ones to mention Christmas. Then the entire period of Advent was swamped with a kind of trivial fling and bling and everybody's calendars filled up. Instead of being quieter and more reflective, 
then finally experiencing what G.K. Chesterton called the submerged sunrise of wonder at the birth of the Christ child, we were suddenly assailed on all sides by commercial pressures. But he says this, but we can resist it. We can create rituals at home and inward spaces and times of reading that protect a certain space against all of that. Not because we're against light and parties. You really want the light and the parties when they come, but you also want spiritually the contrast. Now, I don't know about you, but that speaks to me. This is a strange season when the music in every public space is singing of sleigh rides and the most wonderful time of the year, while the headlines right now read of a world at war in a country so deeply divided. Just last night, I had this moment where I was in the kitchen, reading the news, leaning against um, my dishwasher with a, a Christmassy dish towel that just says, Merry and Bright. And I'm reading the news, and it's news of atrocities in Gaza. It's news of anti-Semitism on university campuses. It's news of university presidents resigning because the strife has touched even our backyard here at the University of Pennsylvania. I love Christmas, but sometimes the sentimentalism of the season is just all too obviously inadequate for meeting us where we actually are with what we actually need. We need a hope that runs deeper than warm, fuzzy feelings and is fueled by something more robust than nostalgia and eggnog. We long for a kind of joy that is full and lasting. Merry and bright not only doesn't cut it, but it kind of feels like playing pretend. A sort of sentimentalized selective attention that clings to good vibes by turning a blind eye to so much of what is unavoidably true and tragic in our lives and in the world. We need something more. Pastor and theologian Fleming Rutledge says Advent begins in the dark. By which she means that before we get to the great celebration of Christmas and the eruption of joy to the world, first we must acknowledge our deep need for God to come near to make his home among us. Before we grasp the hope of that dawn of glory, that moment when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we must become acquainted with the darkness that aches for the dawn. Because it is this darkness into which God comes to meet us. It is this darkness which did not, cannot, and will not overcome the light of God. Tonight, we've heard the story of God's ancient promise read to us in these nine lessons. It's a story of a creator who loves his good creation. It's a story of humanity, this crown jewel of God's, of all his creation, made by God to bear his image and to cultivate life in the world. It's also a tragedy. It's a story of human beings turning away from God and against one another, making a wreck of things by trying to be their own gods, though without the wisdom or the goodness or the power to pull that off. And that story of darkness unfolds like cascading dominoes from the missteps of our ancestors to our own perpetuation of the tragedy today. But it is also a story of profound hope.
because God doesn't leave his creation for dead. God doesn't allow the consequences of human sin and darkness to determine the destiny of God's beloved world and God's beloved children. God intervenes. God makes a promise and God keeps that promise faithfully, patiently, persistently over the long haul of the unfolding story of history. God promises to save the world and humanity from the darkness. Not just the darkness out there that causes our weary world to weep, but the darkness in here, in each and every one of us that is very real and is cut from the same cloth as the evil out there and by which we become perpetuators of the same brokenness we lament. In the advent of Jesus Christ, we discover the mystery and the beauty of how God will do this. In Jesus, God writes himself into the human story. In Jesus, God comes to be with us, to make his home among us. This is what it means that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Jesus, God stepped onto the plane of human history in order to fulfill humanity's calling himself so that the true story of creation and humanity would not ultimately be the tragedy that follows the natural consequences of human failure, but that because Jesus wrote himself into that tragedy, who lived inside of it, who died under its weight and rose again into a new day, that the true story of creation and humanity would be one of redemption and renewal that follows the divine intervention of our faithful God. This is the something more that we need. According to theologian Miroslav Volf, this is what Christmas is all about. Something radically new that cannot be generated out of the conditions of this world. It does not emerge, it comes. We do not extrapolate it, God promises it. If darkness has descended upon you and your world, you need not try to persuade yourself that things are not as bad as they seem or to search desperately for reasons to be optimistic. Remind yourself instead of this very simple fact, the light of the one who was in the beginning with God shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This Advent, as we wait for Christmas, will you also watch and wait for Christ? Will you welcome him in? Christ will come again to make all things new at the final Advent, that is our ultimate hope. Yet Christ is also always coming to meet you right where you are, in the real moments of your everyday life. And this is also our hope our Advent hope. Where in your life do you need God to meet you in the darkness? What are the sorrows, the hurts, longings, the disappointments, the fears, the relational breakdowns that loom large enough in your life that you know you need something more than Netflix Christmas specials and holiday playlists and a shopping spree? The good news for you and me this Advent is that it is precisely in those places of darkness, those particular 
real, personal, dark places that God does, in fact, offer us the something more that we so desperately need. He offers us himself. He comes to us to be with us, to befriend us, to make his home with us, and to lead us home to him. This Advent, will you make space to reflect? And will you invite God to meet you in the darkness so that you may discover more personally and powerfully the great mystery of our Advent hope, that in Jesus, the light of God shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, light of the world, dawn in our darkness, we pray, and remake us as a people of Advent hope, Give us grace to watch and wait for Christ in the everyday realities of our lives, in the exciting, the mundane, and the hard, so that we may know personally that in your presence there is fullness of joy, and in our darkness your light shines with a radiance that cannot be snuffed out. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.